0: Welcome back, everybody, to Value Adds Value. My name's Kyle Krieger, joined by my guy, We'll Give You Law the Third. Will, what's happening?
1: Not a lot, man. Excited to have be, feel rested. Yeah. You know, this is a break that I can honestly say that I've shut everything out. I haven't answered an email. I haven't checked a, a message board for anything. I haven't done any of my doctoral studies. Uh, I took a break from everything for two whole weeks and it feels amazing to be able to have mm-hmm. the clarity of mind to be able to you know really reengage things the proper way
0: I feel that's mm. that's a, a so, good way to say it so we are recording this on New Year's Eve. It is officially the last, yes, day of 2020. last day of 2020. I I I'm I'm hoping that somehow magically tomorrow it'll be like groundhog day where we'll wake up and and it'll be like 2020 never happened, but uh it's been great. We are we're pumped though because we've been talking on the podcast the last few weeks and Wilkie and I in our private conversations that we've had this sort of real desire to start to see the big picture because it's never something that that I've been really interested in is to see the big picture of education because I always associated that with administration and decision makers. But we are pumped to have our friends, Jen Newton and Mira Williams to come back on the podcast to talk about their experience this fall of being teacher uh, professors in the teacher prep space and all that jazz. So ladies, thanks for joining us early this morning.
2: Thanks for having us. It's good to see you both.
0: It's good to see, good to see you. you. So, I mean, if you don't mind, do you want to just kind of give everybody an update from you know of kind of what the fall looked like for both of you? We decided we talked sometime late summer, so let's just give kind of an update for our listeners as to what your what your falls have been
2: like. Go ahead, Jen. Mine was um, pretty. We had vastly different experiences, so I'll go first because mine was pretty structured. So my university started out as um, with the whole semester remote. So I knew going in that I was preparing for my courses to be uh, remote, and that my students would not have field experiences. Um, And so there was a pretty pretty big shift in the way that we were approaching it, but it was it was set. It was going to be structured that way from the entire semester. So um, I, it was a pretty big learning curve in terms of thinking about how to structure it. I had 32 students, undergrads in a section in a three-hour block. So thinking about like, what's the attention span? How long can we Um, you know be so I broke them into three groups and we met for an hour a piece and we did a lot of like individual meetings and small group meetings there's just a lot of that but the students in general um, just it was hard it was just really hard they were mostly here um, in town and on campus and there we were ravaged by COVID throughout the fall Um, we had lots and lots of extended illnesses, uh, family illnesses, lots of you know competing responsibilities. So it was an incredibly difficult semester. Um, and then also the students didn't have, my students who, I'm just talking about my undergrads, my graduate students were a whole other kind of complexity, um, but my undergrads were not assigned mentor teachers. And so their field experience was all um, videos and sort of. It was it was just incredibly hard, and so that was challenging for the students because, like we were saying, a lot of our favorite things about teaching. Uh, weren't happening, right? So they were in class and they were doing homework, but they weren't having any experiences with students. They weren't actually teaching lessons. They weren't getting those hands-on opportunities. So that was really a test of of um, all of our kind of commitments and um, creativity. Mira's experience on the other hand.
3: <laughs> yeah, mine is a little different. Um... As you were sitting I was talking, Jen, I was thinking, I felt like I was kind of a ping pong ball, right? Like we were just like everywhere <laughs> because we we opened. So um I had my first class, um, actually both of my classes, um, in person. I had my like in 95 masks, they supplied us with our face shield. They had plexiglass. Um, I could barely breathe. <laughs> we had, um, you know, to spray down the classroom. Students come in. I had not enough seats for students. Um, like even thinking back to it right now, I'm like getting anxious again <laughs> um, because it was it was scary. Um, and the students also. I think um, I had a couple students come to me or write to me after class and say, I'm really sorry, but I don't I don't know anything you said. Like, I, I don't remember anything during class because I couldn't pay attention because I was too nervous about how close I was sitting to the next person or whatever I was doing. So we did that for a week. We were shut down. Um, I think it was actually a little bit less than a week into the semester um, because our COVID numbers just skyrocketed. Um, and then we took, I think it was about a month off, um, to move to virtual. And then some professors started going back in person and then some stayed virtual. I, um, luckily, um, was given the opportunity to stay virtual, um, which again, like Jen was saying has Some pros and cons, right? I felt safer. My students felt safer. Um, It was a really quick pivot of, oh, let me change my syllabus. Let me change my activities. Let me change how I'm going to do, you know, this group work. Um, I need to change a couple projects because we can no longer do what I had planned. Um, So it, it was just, it was really interesting. And I think Um, for my students that were sophomores and juniors that I was having for the very first time in my program I usually have students multiple times throughout the program Um, it was particularly challenging because they didn't really know me Um, I didn't know them it's hard to get to know a black screen Um, so yeah it's it's been interesting it's been really interesting and challenging
1: You know, I think about that um, what you're saying because I had I'm a mentor this year, and my mentee and I were talking, and I shared with him. I say this is probably the worst year for a first year teacher, mm-hmm. um, and he he's been for the entire first semester. He, he was completely virtual, um, and so you can imagine the, the 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 stress and the anxiety that comes with being first year teacher, trying to get your footing and You're virtual, so now you're having to learn your students without being able to to connect with them, really. Um, And it's kind of interesting, and and I guess from your standpoint, looking at in the teacher prep space, how can we prepare teachers for that? Like, how, how, what could that look like? Like, I don't, like, I'm just, like I say, I I was just, I told him, I said, you know, you're the most courageous guy on the planet because I don't think I would have opted to be in the teaching space during the middle, in the middle of a pandemic as a first year teacher, because it, the first year is your most difficult period. And then when you compound it with the fact that now you're having to navigate a space that no one else has done, you know, even experienced teachers were flopping. You know, with the virtuals. so how, how how can we get teachers, you know those those first year teachers, those pre-service teachers in the in the right mindset for what we you know for what's going on?
3: Yeah,
2: well, I think that that's such a good that's weighing heavily on us because I think we um, we're at a moment that will likely in reflection be when everything changed as educators. Um, I think we, we know now that there are other ways. There are some kids who are absolutely flourishing, right. Who are, are finding this to be, um, such a refreshing and an accessible way to learn. And, and there are some kids who aren't, there are some teachers too, right. Who, who are, really finding this to be more palatable. We are going to see a change, I think, in the way that we deliver education um, and that our students need to, and we talk about this a lot, they also need to be adept at um, navigating virtual spaces. But the thing about it is that the tech isn't pedagogy. So, you know, continuously talking about whether or not you can navigate seesaw is not the same as knowing what to do with it when you can do it. So engaging students doesn't really change. We just have to think about the ways in which our pedagogy shows up. And I think that's a real challenge for students who don't know what pedagogy is yet, nor have they identified their own identity as educators and really thinking about their space. So when we we think about teaching and then we think about how to do that in a virtual space, but they don't have that luxury, right? They Mm -hmm. have to navigate the virtual space with the realities of education all at once. And they're also learning that they don't know how to learn like this. The students that I have that struggled the most, we always have I think one of the things people don't understand about our job often is that um, all the student support that y'all have to provide, we also have to provide to our students, right? We have to make accommodations. We have to support them. They have real lives outside of class, and they're super complex. And our part of our role is to partner with them in helping them navigate that. We always have a couple of students who are confronted with really challenging semesters and this semester it was probably a third of my students whereas normally it's two or three um and the 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 work of helping them to understand their you know the role that we have as educators that they have as learners, they're trying to figure out how to do time management, which a lot of our students struggle with already. And then not having class, not having the opportunity to just like come into my office and sit down and work. We'd both do a lot of like what we call mediated office hours where our students can just come in and sit at a a desk in our office and they can work and they can ask us questions if they, but typically if they're just sitting there, they're like, feeling more confident in their abilities. So all of those things are all happening at once, right? They're learning about themselves as learners and then thinking about how to teach like this. And I think it's really complicated. I think Mira and I have both had a lot of really hard conversations with students who are like, I don't know if I wanna do this. And I think educating is gonna look a lot different. I think um, I'm worried. I guess I'll just say that I'm worried. Sorry, go
3: ahead.
0: Oh, I was just going to say when that point of technology and pedagogy, like I have 10 years of experience and I'm having a hard time finding the right pedagogy for the technology, especially because, you know, my school is doing no, you know, we were hybrid. Now we're all virtual, at least for the time being, but it's like a, you have 20 minutes a day for a video and then maybe another 15 to 20 minutes, for an assignment. And when I have my kids live, I only have my kids live twice a week for 30 minutes. So I mean, in in that case, I can't imagine, like, it's really hard to find pedagogy that really fits that. And then there's, I mean, and this is something I would love to hear from you. It's kind of what you were saying about kids not wanting to to get into the profession, because it's so hard right now, like, then you have the thing where you're like, how much more can I do? Like, I know I could really push myself a lot harder. But then at what point do I, I burn out and I have experience?
3: Yeah. I think going back to what you were saying in terms of how do you get, how do you get students want to stay with it, right? How do you get them to to understand that we still we still need educators, right? We have, we have to keep doing this. Um, one of the classes I taught this fall and I teach it every fall, but it's called Issues and Trends in Inclusive Early Childhood Education. And our issues and trends this semester were quite different <laughs> than what um, we typically might have. And one of the things that I started doing was I started reaching out to past students and I started bringing them in for our Zoom calls and getting them to talk to our future teachers about what they were doing because I felt like I could model to an extent in terms of what I was doing with Zoom and with different, you know, learning tools, but it was nowhere near what these past students of mine who were actually in classrooms could share, right? I had some sharing how they had set their living room up as like a preschool circle center, you know, and others who were more hybrid and they were able to show how they were coming into the classroom each day and then still others who were in person and they were able to talk about, you know, what it was like to have to have four-year-olds wear masks all the time and you know just how how everything's changed. So I found that to be one way that I kind of I don't know, got my students to to buy in a little bit, I guess. Like, look, there's people doing this, you can do this. Um yes, it looks different, but here's all of these different ways that they are making it happen.
0: I I would love to come back to the point you made Mira about the student who sent you an email after class and was like, I'm sorry, but I have no idea what you talked about because of that feeling of anxiety. So with that, I mean, because Will has been, I, I have not been, I've not taught on campus one day all year. There were teachers that were hybrid until Thanksgiving, but my school decided to do one, one teacher from each content area would be the, the strictly virtual teacher. So that was me. But I know from the anxiety perspective, like I took the virtual position because I'm like, I've got a wedding coming up in two months. And I and all I could think about was it's going to be the last week of October. And that cough is going to come to me. And then we're going to have to cancel our wedding. And and for me, that that's just one example of what anxiety looks like. And we know our we know our K to 12 kids have anxiety like that, but what is, you know, what has it been like for those students, either that have been on campus with you or just generally those college students? What, what does some of the anxiety look like for them?
2: It's so hard. And, and Mira's students, some of them have been in the field. Mm -hmm. So even though they're not going to class, they have been in classrooms. Mm -hmm. If the schools are open um, and allowing it, we are, my dean was like, absolutely no early field. So we had um, student teachers, which we call professional interns in classrooms, if the classrooms were meeting um, in our region. Well, I live in a very rural part of Southeast Ohio. And so we have um, erred on the side of caution. I think we don't have very many beds. <laughs> um, so we have tried to keep our students out of it. But the, the number amongst the students has been very high because they live together, they eat together, they sleep together, they, you know, that, I mean, they're always together. So um they have been, that has been really challenging to navigate their And, you know, much to everyone's chagrin, they get sick. It, this idea that if you're young and healthy is just not accurate, they get very sick. And I had two students out of my 32 who are hospitalized this fall. So, you know, this is, this isn't sort of flippant for the, for our students either. Um, So the anxieties have been really high. And I think as we enter into the spring, I think about how the trauma that we've all collectively experienced, and then how They, I know they want to be in the field, and I know they need to be in classrooms. But I know that's also going to be an additional stress for them in thinking about how to navigate this. We're pretty low on the list of the vaccine schedule, so um, I'm just not sure how this is going, going to look this spring. I think the anxieties are probably a lot more amplified than they were in the fall because in the fall, I think we were under the impression that they'd bounce back, you know, and be like a bad cold. Um, and that's not the experiences that many of them have had, so.
3: Yeah. And I think also for me, it's been really interesting because I've always been, right, about individualized instruction, even at the, the college level. I've never in my life felt like I needed as much individualized instruction this semester <laughs> like it's just been and I think a lot of it comes down to what the anxieties of students are right so I have some students like the one I mentioned that are so nervous about being around people that they can't even focus right but then I also have another set of students that are super anxious because They're worried about taking a teaching job without having classroom experience, right? So, what I found really, really interesting was I had this group of students that they wanted to be in the classroom. They wanted to be in person. They're, you know, how am I going to ever do this on my own if I don't have these experiences? I'm about to graduate. I haven't had enough time, I haven't had enough experiences. Versus the group of students that's like, please, please find me a placement that's all virtual. And it was really hard because we had we have usually four different districts that we use and they're all doing completely different things. They all have different rules in terms of what students can do in terms of coming in or having to stay out. Um, So I don't know.
2: It's just been super interesting to me. That anxiety about not having enough time in the classroom is so real, yeah, we yeah. lost will oh
0: I think he'll come back okay oh he he just said the power surged at his house, and something kicked him off his computer, so he'll be back but okay i mean i and i i mean I feel like anxiety, and there are. And I will say where I live in, in Minnesota and around, you know, where I grew up in Wisconsin, there's a healthy population of people that are totally averse to anything COVID related. They are not, you know, we did a survey, my school, like 60% of the parents wanted every kid to be in school all day, every day. And that, that's that been challenging. But I just think back, and this is something we talked about with you before, and Wilkie and I have talked about it. and I know from my experience, I know when I was a pre-service teacher that I didn't get as much field experience as I would have wanted. I, I, I was under prepared, And that's just the way the situation goes. But now you're sitting here saying, like, you can't go out and even, you know, observe a classroom. So when you were saying that pre-service stuff was videos, that means they were watching pre-recorded videos or they were watching live Zoom classes?
2: both for me yeah we didn't my um my early field students did not have any live they didn't have mentor teachers so they weren't in connection with any live teaching we were using atlas which is the um national board certified um library that when teachers do their board national boards they have to upload certain videos and those videos become part of this access library um for special, my program is a K twelve special ed program, and there are like six special ed videos, and they're pretty. That they're not, uh, maybe what we would want our students to experience in terms of uh, inclusive education, targeted individualized instruction, that kind of thing. So it's pretty challenging, especially when you think about a K twelve banned? Like, what even is that? Why do we have a K-12 license? How do you prepare someone for the K-12 span? Um, So that obviously really limits the amount of experience that the students can get when they're using videos. And that we have, Mira and I were talking about this earlier, we have had multiple pitches. This is another area that I think we're going to see change from like sim school and other virtual um, and AI kind of programming that's really targeted um, to simulate classroom experiences and kind of gaming education, oh. uh, like gaming prep. And that is a, a whole thing that's cropped up. And, and um, we did, I did research on this, there's a teach live institute that is kind of pretty prevalent across a lot of universities. It comes out of University of South Florida, but this is a different kind of thing. It's it's privatized, it's uh, monetized, it's a for-profit company where the lessons are are sort of embedded, and the students have to get in there and select, and you, as the professor, can decide sort of what the quote-unquote behaviors are, and there are lots of problems with the way that it is set up from the perspective of a teacher educator. So we're going to see lots of those kinds of things that are cropping up that are going to create opportunities for teachers to be prepared virtually without having them access students and classrooms and teachers. So, and this is, I mean, we've seen this, right? We've seen this kind of privatizing of prep and really thinking about how to fast track and create alternative opportunities for students. But I think after the pandemic, we're seeing much more of this kind of teaching as a gig economy, where we have fast prep, quick licensure to prepare teachers for real short stints, and not really investing in career educators. I think that's been on the horizon. It's been, you know, a sort of a small little piece of it, but it's definitely creeping in and going to be a much more prevalent part of our landscape.
0: Wilkie's well, going to tell you about his favorite billboard right now. Do oh, you, remember, one, you remember that one. billboard you see everywhere in Texas?
1: The one that says, want to teach. No, got a degree. Want to teach.
0: When can you start?
1: When can you start?
0: All over Texas, if you drive for, mm-hmm. for their programs that are like that. And and we we should clarify that will was an alternative certification teacher and i have met a ton of people who have gone through that that alternative pipeline that are fantastic but they're fantastic because they had like and correct me if i'm wrong but the idea of that was like people with real world experience in the professions can learn how to teach and bring that experience into the classroom is how it started not as like you said, a fast tracked.
2: Yeah, I'm not I'm actually not against alternative prep. We I have a one year master's program. I think it's not enough, but uh for people who have degrees, they can do one year of pedagogy and methods and assessment and that kind of stuff and, and get a teaching license in special education. I I'm not opposed to alternatives or I what I'm talking about is Alternative cert is a really big term for lots and lots and lots of different things that fit under it, right? So um, what we have now, even with TFA, Teach for America, or, you know, um, the New York Fellows, like all of those programs, there there's still a, a bit of a structure to it, Um we at most states you can, you know, send your degree, your transcript to the State Department of Education and they'll say, Here's what you need in order to meet our licensure requirements. Those those kinds of bureaucracy things are, are one thing that we can talk about, whether or not those things are comprehensive, whether or not they're meeting the need of the moment. But then there's another part of it that's like, what do teachers actually need? What do we know from the literature? What do we know from the research? What do we know from the lived experiences of teachers where, like Kyle, you said, you went through a traditional program and didn't feel prepared, right? Um, Our students have a ton of field experience. Both my program and Mira's program are pretty heavy on, on the clinical hours in comparison to um do we know that more clinical hours mean better prepared teachers there's a there's a tipping point right where there doesn't there doesn't show difference once you've kind of reached a, a a point but more is always better obviously that's how we sort of look at it right more experiences are better every single time i've been in this field for 20 years every single time i'm in front of a new class i have a new learning experience as an instructor and as a learner myself. Um, So all of those things are factors. I think I'm thinking much more about the privatized model of the kind of Khan Academy version of teacher prep, where you watch some YouTube videos, you play a sim classroom game for a certain number of hours, and then you have a license. Um, (laughs) I'm thinking about it more so I don't even think alternative is the right word for that right I think we're talking about how do we get people into classrooms for one year two years with no real investment in their career as educators and that's been happening we have had that experience that's how TFA was founded on it right this idea that You really just need people to be invested for a short period of time. But I think that's going to really explode um, as we go forward. And there's a lot of things that have happened in traditional prep and in um, the underfunding of higher ed that is resulting in our students being younger and graduating quicker. And so they're going into classrooms now when they're 20 and 21 and thinking about their readiness in terms of just – developmental and maturity and all of those kinds of things for a career. I think we're, we're headed for a little bit of, um, a mashup.
1: I could not imagine being 21 years old, going into the classroom, 20 year old will in the classroom. I don't believe would do anybody's child any good. Um, I'm just being honest. Um, I know things have changed, you know, you know, um, But you You know know what
2: hasn't changed, Wilkie? (laughs) Twenty-one-year-olds.
0: I was I was twenty uh twenty-eight or twenty-nine when we met, and I was a mess at twenty-nine. And and the bigger problem, and this is something Will talks about all the time, and we know, like we know the academic and the economic costs of teachers who only stay in the classroom for a year or two or three. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: It's de- it's devastating. And honestly, that's like the genesis of where our whole podcast and our whole organization started was like, how do we get teachers, new teachers past that third year to, to stay in the profession. And the other thing that I would want to ask you too, from, from this perspective, maybe we talked about it last time, but to me, it feels like, being a career teacher like the job you do is just teach in the classroom like when i was growing up i had a lot of my teachers taught my parents like that's how long they had been in the classroom but it feels like to Mm -hmm. me that so many of the young teachers that i meet are already like i'm getting my master's at 24 and i'm moving on to special ed director and i'm moving on to a uh, behavior specialist and I'm moving on to administration and I I wonder what your thoughts are on how I mean do kids think it's that bad to be a teacher is that what it is that these new teachers the pre-service teachers are like why would I want to stay in the classroom like I can't I can't figure that part out
2: I'm gonna jump in but Mira I want you to respond to that too I think it's the exact opposite Kyle the the students, our students are pumped to be teachers. They love it. They love everything about it. They're all about the school supplies, the kids, the books. The They're excited about teaching. The job and the toxic workplace is what gets them. Mm. The, you know, we try really hard to Equip them. I teach a classroom ecology class, and this semester was the first time that we created this class into our sequence. And it's very much like a precursor to the Mira has a class like this, too, where it's the two part classroom management. Um, and in the first part, we do all tier one. We talk about how to build relationships, why it's important for teachers to be well regulated, so you know, that they're not escalating kids, and really focusing on our own self regulation and our own emotional wellness, which I've never done before. I've never built that stuff into a course. And this semester, I was like, this is the this is the stuff you need actually to be ready for that next behavior class, which is much more tier two, tier three, FBAs, BIPs, right, all that. But at the tier one level, we know teachers are always telling us, everyone says relationships are everything, but no one tells you how to do that or what that looks like or how to take care of yourself. I've never mm-hmm. talked to my students before about how to make sure that they are taking mental health days. You know, I have colleagues who are like, you can't just, you know, when my when our students, have a bad breakup and don't come to class and they're like, you can't just do that when you're a teacher. I'm like, you absolutely can and should please please take good care of yourself because we're factors in our classroom. If your classroom isn't functioning well, if it's that you have to look at yourself and what you're asking of your students and look at your environment, it's not all in the kids. And all of those pieces are me trying to shore them up for the workplace, because we don't talk about that enough in schools, right? We're not telling teachers in schools how to take good care of themselves and how to create community that is responsive to each other. And that's the kind of thing that burns them out. And I think that Mira and I talk a lot to our graduated students who are now actively teaching. And sometimes we are in group texts where we're just saying to them, yes, your feelings are valid that is really hard and really frustrating. And that kind of community is what we have to create in schools if we want to really invest in career educators. I would, Miro, what would, you th-
0: I would audit your class right now if I had the chance because it, what you described is the exact circumstances of Wilkie and I meeting. Personally, I was a mess.
1: Welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Long, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode.
4: going on, fam? Thanks for checking out this episode of Value Adds Value with Jen and Mira. It is one of a three-part conversation uh, that we have with them over the holiday break. Um, it happened the last time we talked to them too. We went for almost two hours, so we thought we would just break this up into digestible parts for you and and continue to share it in little bits. Um, this this conversation that we had about what college prep looks like for teachers this year and and how that's filtering down into classrooms so we hope you'll check out the next episode uh, as it comes out on friday and then we'll do we're going to do a, a monday friday monday release uh, and then the following friday is going to be our 300th episode which we're really excited about but uh, be sure to go follow jen and mira teaching is intellectual on instagram um, you can also find them at their website teaching is intellectual.com and and just make sure you're you're plugged into that world because it's it's a world that we uh, are not super plugged into, but we're glad to know Jen and Mira to be able to get a feel for that world as well. So we hope this this episode finds you well. Hit us up if there's anything we can do for you, and otherwise, let's make it a great week.